In Matthew chapter 17, will you go there with me this morning? Matthew chapter 17, verse number 1. The Bible says this, Matthew 17 and verse 1. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with him. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground and were terrified. And Jesus came to them and touched them and said, Get up and do not be afraid. And lifting up their eyes, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. With the obvious exception, with the obvious exception being his death, burial, and resurrection from the dead, what would you consider to be some key moments in the life of Jesus? What would you consider to be some key moments in the life of your Savior? I don't know about you, but for me personally, there are a lot of different things I want to put on that list. For example, I want to put his baptism on that list. And I want to put the time in which he spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness on that list. And I want to put the Sermon on the Mount on that list. And I definitely, I definitely want to put this event we just read about on that list. I definitely want to put the occasion in which Jesus was changed and transfigured on that list. You see, this moment when Jesus was changed or transfigured before his apostles was a key moment in his life. It was a key moment in the life of his apostles. It was a key moment in his ministry. And, and this morning, if you don't mind in this study, I, I just want to show you why that is. If you don't mind this morning in this study from God's word, I want to ask you to take a journey with me. I want to ask you to go on the mountain with me. I want to ask you to go on the mountain with me and, and Jesus and Peter and James and John. I want to ask you to, cons to consider with me what happened on this occasion when Jesus was changed and transfigured before his apostles. What does the Bible tell us about such a glorious event? Well, the first thing, the first thing the Bible tells us about this glorious event is, number one, it tells us that it happened on a mountain. It happened on a high mountain. It happened on a high mountain located on planet Earth. It didn't happen on a high mountain in some fictitious place like the land of Oz or Never Never Land, or on Mount Doom like you find in Lord of the Rings. It didn't even happen in the spiritual place, the real spiritual place of heaven, the place where God's throne is. No, 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 no. This glorious moment, it happened, it happened on planet Earth, actually. It happened on a, a real high mountain, located in the land of Israel. In fact, many scholars suggest that it may have happened on Mount Hermon. 
Mount Hermon. Mount Hermon is a mountain that is over 9,000 feet tall. It is actually located in the northern part of Israel. It is a beautiful mountain, one that I was blessed to see with my own eyes when I went to Israel a few years ago. Mount Hermon is often considered, considered a likely place for the transfiguration of Jesus. It is definitely a high mountain that has many places for privacy and solitude. Now, unfortunately, we don't know exactly which mountain Jesus was transfigured upon, but whichever mountain it was, one thing the Bible does make crystal clear is that when Jesus went on the mountain, he didn't go by himself. He didn't go alone. Instead, he went with some friends, didn't he? He, he went with three of his apostles. He went with Peter and James and John. Remember, of all of the apostles who followed Jesus, Peter, James, and John were in Jesus' inner, inner circle. They were the three apostles who were the closest to Jesus. They were the three apostles who went many of the places with Jesus that the other apostles did not go. Remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night in which he was betrayed and arrested, Peter, James, and John were the only ones with Jesus. Remember when he raised a little girl, Jairus' daughter from the dead, the only people in the room on that occasion were, were Peter and James and John. And then here as Jesus goes on the mountain, the Bible says the only people who are with him are Peter and James and John. Peter, James and John, they go with Jesus on this mountain. And Luke tells us in his account in Luke 9 of the transfiguration that when they get to their designated spot on the mountain, these three apostles, they go to sleep. They're very tired and so they take a nap while Jesus is in prayer, and when they wake up from their sleep, they're then able to see something. They're blessed to see something that, that no one else in the history of the world has been able to see. They were blessed to see Jesus transfigured. They saw Jesus changed right before their eyes. Notice again, Matthew 17 and verse 2. And he, Jesus, was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as light. Let me ask you something. What do you think that must have looked like? What do you think it must have looked like to see Jesus Change like this. What do you think it, it must have looked like to, to see him transfigured right before your eyes? Well, I believe this word transfigured that the Bible uses here may help us get some understanding of what they saw. You see, the word transfigured that is used here by Matthew comes from the Greek word metamufu or metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis is a word that is only used four times in all the Bible. It is used in Matthew's account of the transfiguration. It's also used in Mark's account of the transfiguration. Paul uses it in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. And Paul also uses it in Romans 12 and verse 2. Remember, in Romans 12 and verse 2, Paul says to us, Do not be conformed to this wor world, but be what? 
be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That word transformed that Paul uses there in Romans 12 is the same word that Matthew's using when describing the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus experienced transformation. Jesus experienced metamorphosis. The idea of one experiencing transformation or metamorphosis means that they experience an inward change that manifests itself outwardly, kind of like a caterpillar, right? For all you teachers out there this morning, you know that when a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, it goes through what? It goes through metamorphosis. It goes through transformation. It changes on the inside. It changes in its cocoon and it becomes something dif different outwardly. That's the word the apostles are using here with respect to Jesus. One commentator I found said that when Jesus was transfigured before his apostles, his face shining like the sun and his clothes becoming white as light was not was not like shining upon Jesus from without, but rather it was light shining from within. Light was shining from within Jesus. In other words, the curtain was pulled back. The, the mask was taken off, or taken off. The true nature and deity of Jesus was being seen. What was inside of Jesus, it was now visible. The apostles could see it. They could see the true glory of Jesus. They could see the true majesty of Jesus. They could see with their eyes who Jesus really was. His glory from within manifest itself outwardly transformation metamorphosis that is what they saw and what a glorious thing that must have been to see it certainly made a huge impression on them they allude to it several times in the gospels i think john is talking about it in john chapter one we go to john chapter one in verse number 14. In John chapter 1 and verse 14, John, when talking about Jesus, says, And the word became flesh, that's Jesus, and he dwelt among us, and we saw his what? We saw his glory. John was there on the mountain. We saw his glory, glory, as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. I think John there is talking about the transfiguration. He's talking about what he saw on the mountain, and Peter is certainly talking about that in 2 Peter chapter 1. When we go to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we look at verse number 16, and 2 Peter 1 and verse 16, Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales, when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him for the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him where? On the holy mountain. Notice how Peter, Peter is making reference to the transfiguration. Peter is making reference to what he saw on the mountain. He says that I was eyewitness on the mountain to the glory of Jesus. 
He says, I saw the true nature and majesty of Jesus. I saw what Jesus really looks like. I saw Jesus radiant and, and shining forth the glory of God. Peter says, I saw that. I saw Jesus go through metamorphosis. The Hebrew writer talks about this in Hebrews chapter 1. In Hebrews 1, and in verse number three, when talking about Jesus, in Hebrews 1 and verse 3, the Hebrew writer says, and he, Jesus, is the radiance of his glory. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. That, my friends, is what the apostles saw on the mountain. They saw who Jesus really was. They saw everything this verse says. They saw the radiance of God. They saw the true glory of God. They saw the exact representation of deity, who Jesus was from within. It was seen. It was seen by the apostles. They saw Jesus transfigured right before their eyes, but they didn't just see Jesus transfigured. They also saw Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah also, also showed up on this occasion. In fact, Luke tells us in his account that not only was Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus, but he, they were talking with the Lord about something very specific. They were talking with him about his exodus. They were talking with him about his exit or his departure. In other words, they were talking with him about his death. They were talking with him about his death that was going to take place in Jerusalem. They were talking about how he was going to fulfill and execute perfectly God's scheme of redemption. That's what they were talking with him about. But the question often comes up, how did they know this? How did the apostles know this? How did they know that this was Moses and Elijah? They had never seen Moses and Elijah before. There were no pictures at this time to show people what Moses and Elijah really looked like. Moses and Elijah were not walking around Israel at this time shouting, we're Moses and Elijah. In fact, Moses and Elijah had been dead for several hundred years up to this point. And so how did they know this? How did they know that this was Moses and Elijah? Well, here's the answer to that question. You ready? The answer is we don't know. The answer is we don't know because the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us how exactly they knew that this was Moses and Elijah. But that's not even the most important question we need to be considering this morning. You see, the most important question that we need to be considering is not how they knew that they were seeing Moses and Elijah. Instead, the question really is, is why? Why were they seeing Moses and Elijah? I mean, of all the great people we can read about in the Old Testament, why these two guys? Why not Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Why not David and Samuel? Why not Isaiah and Ezekiel or Daniel and Jeremiah, why not those guys? Why we got to see these two guys? Why Moses and Elijah? Someone says, well, the reason why 
The reason why they were seen, Moses and Elijah, is because one represented the law and the other represented the prophets. You ever heard someone say that before? Someone says the reason why they were seeing those two guys is because they both represent and encompass what the Old Testament is all about. That is a common thought among religious teachers. And while it might, might sound scholarly and good and correct, the truth is, this is probably not true. It's probably not right. It's probably assuming too much. It is assuming things that's not found there in the text. Th that idea probably misses entirely what is going on there on the mountain. You see, and listen carefully, when it comes to Elijah, when it comes to Elijah, he never one time in the Old Testament is used to represent all the prophets. He's never used by anyone to refer to all the prophets. In fact, he wasn't even the first prophet in Israel. Samuel was a prophet before Elijah. Ahijah was a prophet before Elijah. Nathan was a prophet before Elijah. Elijah wasn't the first prophet in Israel. There were many other prophets in Israel before Elijah showed up. Listen carefully. Moses and Elijah, they're not there on, their, on that mountain because they represented the law and the prophets. The Bible doesn't say that. Instead, when we study our Old, our Old Testament very carefully, we see that the reason why these two guys showed up on the mountain is because they are both tied to the work of the Messiah. They both foreshadowed the work of the Messiah, both of them will help these apostles understand that Jesus is the Messiah. They both would only confirm what Peter said in the previous chapter. Remember Matthew 16, 16, Jesus says, who do you say that I am? What did Peter say? You are the what? The Christ, Messiah, the son of the living God. Moses and Elijah would only confirm what Peter says there. In regards to Moses, and remember this statement very carefully because God the Father is going to say something about this statement in just a moment. But in Deuteronomy 18 and verse 15, Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. Here, Moses, he's talking about the Messiah. He is saying that there's somebody coming who's going to be a greater prophet than me. He's going to be a greater deliverer than me. He's going to come from Israel. He's going to come from your countrymen. And he is going to be the chief spokesman of God. Moses here is talking about the Messiah, and how he's the one who should be listened to above anyone else. And in regards to Elijah, the Old Testament closes with the words of Malachi. Remember, I did a sermon a few weeks ago from Malachi. And I intentionally left these verses off that sermon because I wanted to use them for this lesson. And in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 through 6, before God goes silent for 400 years, 
He says, Behold, I'm sending you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore Elijah. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. Notice how before the coming of the Messiah, Malachi says that Elijah was going to come first. Elijah was going to come and do the work of God. Elijah was going to come and he was going to preach the word of God. Elijah was going to come and he was going to restore the people's hearts back to God. The Old Testament closes with a prophecy about the coming of Elijah and the New Testament opens up immediately by telling us that Elijah is here. In Mark chapter one and verse number four, the gospel begins by saying John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for remission of sins. Are you still in Matthew chapter 17? Go back to Matthew 17. Let's go back and pick up with the text in verse number nine. Matthew 17 and verse number nine. After the apostles saw Jesus transfigured and after they heard the voice of God, the father, it says they were coming down from the mountain. Jesus commanded them, saying, tell the vision to no one until the son of man has risen from the dead. And his disciples asked him, why then do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Wait a minute. We saw Elijah, but you were here before Elijah. So what's going on here? Why do they say Elijah was supposed to come first? You have already been here, but we saw Elijah after you. And he answered and said, Elijah is coming and will restore all things. But I say to you that Elijah already came and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they wished. So also the son of man is going to suffer at their hands. The apostles understood that he had spoken to them about who? John the Baptist. They got it. They're not as slow as we think they are sometimes. They got it. They understood it. They understood when they were coming down the mountain, when they came down from the mountain and after they talked with Jesus, they understood why Elijah was there. They understood why Elijah was on the mountain. They understood that the reason why Elijah was on the mountain was because he was connected to John the Baptist. He foreshadowed the work of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the Elijah to come. John the Baptist was not the literal Elijah, but he came with the same kind of fervor and spirit as Elijah. He preached boldly like Elijah. He came restoring people's hearts back to God like Elijah. He came preparing the way for the Lord. Preparing the way for the Messiah and Jesus was the Messiah. When the apostles came down from the mountain, they realized that Jesus was the Messiah. He is the fulfillment of the words of Moses and John the Baptist is the fulfillment of what was said by about Elijah. They understood that in the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah foreshadowed the relationship between John and Jesus. It was confirmation that he was the Messiah. And so they saw Moses and Elijah, and that confirmed to them that Jesus is the Messiah. 
But they didn't just see something. They also heard something. They also heard God speak. You see, after seeing Moses and Elijah on the mountain, Peter, being like Sean Jeffries and being the very impulsive person he was, he said something really foolish, didn't he? He says something without really thinking, like I do from time to time. He didn't really like uncomfortable silence. And so he says something that that was really just kind of ridiculous. And so we go back to verse number four of the text and it says, Peter says, I mean, he's excited here. And he says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three tabernacles here. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. Oh, oh that's a mistake. That's a big mistake. Notice how without even thinking, Peter foolishly, he foolishly puts Moses and Elijah on the same level with Jesus. He wants to honor Moses and Elijah along with Jesus. That is a big no-no, and God the Father let him know that. In verse number five, while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. What did the text say? You listen to him. There are a few things I want to point out about what, the, what God the Father says here. First, with this statement, God, is, God the Father is almost verbatim saying what he said at the baptism of Jesus. Remember that? Matthew 3, verse 17, after Jesus was baptized, God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He didn't say, listen to him, that's going to come later. He just said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. It's almost verbatim. But then secondly, with this statement, God the Father is confirming, he's confirming to the apostles that Jesus is the fulfillment of this right here. He's the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18 and verse number 15. By uttering these words, God the Father was confirming that Jesus is the prophet. He is the chief spokesman of God. He is the main one that every person should listen to in their lives. If the apostles didn't understand that prior to going on the mountain, they certainly understood it by the time they came down from the mountain. Oh, they understood it then. In fact, that is exactly why they don't question Jesus about Moses when they come down from the mountain. Did you notice that? They don't say why was Moses there. They want to know why Elijah was there. They understood why Moses was there. They got that. They knew that when God the Father said what he said on the mountain, God the Father was making it very clear that Jesus is a fulfillment of what Moses said about the prophet. They knew that Jesus was above Moses. No one is above Jesus. No one is superior to Jesus. Jesus is what it is all about. Jesus is who Moses and all the Old Testament prophets were pointing to in the scriptures. And so Jesus radiates the glory of God. And he is the prophet. And he's the Messiah, and he's the main one who should be listened to above anyone else. That's what the apostles learned when they were on the mountain. And let me suggest that's also what we need to learn today. That's also what we need to understand today. That's also what we need to see today. You see, like the apostles, when they were on the mountain, 
God wants us to also see. He wants us to also see the glory of Jesus. He wants us to see the glory of Jesus, not, not on Mount Hermon or any other mountain in Israel. Instead, God wants us to see the glory of Jesus in this book right here. God wants us to see the glory of Jesus in his word. Through his word, which is the gospel, God wants us to see that Jesus isn't just a great historical person, but instead he's in fact deity. He, he is in fact God. He in fact radiates the glory of God. You see, when people 2,000 years ago saw Jesus and touched Jesus and experienced his power, you know what they were really seeing and touching and experiencing? They were really seeing and touching and experiencing the glory of God. They were seeing God. They were seeing deity. They were experiencing God and deity. That's what, that's what Jesus is. Jesus is God. Jesus is deity. And everything that the Bible tells us about Jesus irradiates that deity. It radiates his glory. It radiates his majesty. It gives us just a small glimpse behind the curtain of what God truly looks like. That's what we see when we read about Jesus. We read about what God really looks like. So we need to see the glory of Jesus through the word. And we also need to see through the word Jesus as the Messiah. We need to see Jesus as the only Messiah. Brothers and sisters, listen carefully. If you don't take anything else away from this lesson, please take away that that is what the transfiguration is really all about. The transfiguration is really all about confirming that Jesus is the Messiah. It's all about confirming that he is the right Messiah. It's all about confirming that he is the only Messiah. He's the only Christ that came into the world to save us from our sins. Now, he's not the Messiah that most of the Jews wanted in that time. He's not the Messiah that Caiaphas, the high priest, wanted. He's not the Messiah that the Pharisees, many of the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees wanted. He's not even the Messiah that a lot of people want today. Have you noticed that? I mean, it, today it appears that most people, even most religious folks, they want a Messiah who's going to be for them like a genie in a bottle. They want a, a Messiah who's going to take away all their problems. They want a Messiah who's going to get them rich physically. They want a Messiah who's going to fulfill all their wildest dreams. That's the kind of Messiah that most people want today. But in the Bible, we learn that Jesus, the right Messiah, he didn't come into the world to do that kind of stuff. He didn't come into the world to be a health and wealth kind of Messiah. He didn't come into the world to make it so that we would never have any problems in this physical life. Instead, Jesus, the right Messiah, he came into the world to make it so that we could have access to spiritual life. He came into the world to make it so that our greatest need could be met. And that is our spiritual need, the need for forgiveness, the need to have fellowship with God. Jesus came into the world to be the kind of Messiah who would call us to be holy and dedicated and zealous and committed to God. That's the kind of Messiah 
that he is. And that's the Messiah we need to challenge ourselves to see. We need to challenge ourselves to see Jesus as the right Messiah. And then finally, we also need to challenge ourselves to see the value in listening to his words. One more time, verse 5 of Matthew 17. God the Father says, and God the Father doesn't speak much directly from heaven in the Bible. Have you noticed that? He does here. And he says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. You listen to him. Notice how before listening to our spouse and our kids and our friends and our parents and our professors and teachers and even Dr. Phil and Oprah, before listening to those people, God the Father says he wants us to listen to Jesus. God the Father says that he wants us to listen to what Jesus has to say about morality. He wants us to listen to what Jesus says about creation and where we come from and where we're going. He wants us to listen to what Jesus says about how we must treat our neighbor and how we need to conduct ourselves in our marriages and how we need to raise our kids and even what kind of priorities we should have in our lives. Before listening to anyone else, anyone else, the Father says he wants us to listen to Jesus. He wants to listen to Jesus before we listen to anybody else in this life. In fact, beyond just listening to Jesus, God the Father wants us to obey Jesus. He wants us to do what Jesus says because it is his words that we're going to be judged by on the last day. Now, there's a lot more. There's a lot more I could say about that this morning. There's a lot more I could say. It's, it's a deep study. But for now, just take this away. Take away that the transfiguration was a critical moment in the life of Jesus. It was a critical moment in confirming him as the Messiah. It was a critical moment in the lives of the apostles. It is something that the apostles, they never forgot. They never forgot what they saw on that mountain. And they never forgot how they were changed on that mountain. The question is, have you been changed by it? Have you been changed by the transfiguration of Jesus Christ? If you're not a Christian this morning, you haven't experienced that change yet, it's time for you to experience that change. It's time for you to let Jesus come in your life and change you. It's time for you to obey his gospel through faith and repentance and baptism and live a new kind of life, live as a new creature, a born-again person in the body of Christ. So if there's someone here this morning who needs to come to Jesus and experience the change, the spiritual change that he can provide, come to the front right now and we'll help you. Let's stand. Let's sing.